This is the Sports to Business Podcast. Today we have Darcy McConvey, Director at Greybrook Realty Partners. Welcome to the Sports to Business Podcast. This is your host, Tanvir. On this show, I chat with former and pro athletes and Fortune 1000 executives on leveraging principles from sports to win in the business world. On this episode, I chat with Darcy McConvey, the director at Greybrook Realty Partners, a real estate asset management and advisory firm with over $1 billion in deployed equity. Darcy played pro hockey in ECHL and was the captain of Idaho Steelheads. He also played hockey in Switzerland and Denmark at the pro level. He then transitioned from sports and did his MBA at the London School of Business before entering the business world. He was also an NCAA academic All-American during his time. Remember to follow him on LinkedIn and check out his podcast on VentureAndGains.com. On this episode, Darcy and I talk about his hockey career growing up and his love of skating, success behind an academic All-American honors in the NCAA, how a simple scheduling tactic helped Darcy juggle multiple priorities, how Darcy made the transition from hockey to MBA and then in the career he is in today, why convincing yourself that you're going to make it before you make it is a true strategy, willing yourself to make it, and why the least risky, most comfortable path can oftentimes be the most risky track. I remember everyone, if this resonates with you, remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend, and follow us on our website at tandrabengu.com. All right, team, let's jump in. I'm excited for this one with the one and only Darcy McConvey. Welcome everyone to the Sports of Business Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Darcy McConvey. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Love being called special to jump to jump into it. <laughs> Appreciate that. No, it was a pleasure to have you on. Um, so Darcy, you're an NCAA D1 hockey player from Bowling Green State University. You're an academic All-American. We'll love to dive into that in a, in a few minutes on how you got that, uh, that honor, especially when it's really tough playing hockey and going to school at the same time. Um, played, you played pro for in the EACHL. You're the captain of the Idaho Steelheads. You also went to uh, play hockey in Switzerland and Denmark. And then you made a great transition to business where you went to the DGMBA London School of Business. And today you're the director at Greybrook Realty Partners with real estate asset management with over $1 billion in deployed capital. Mm-hmm. Love to dive into all these things today. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. It's... Uh... It's been an interesting journey to say the least. And I think hockey, you know, sports generally, but, but hockey kind of sets you up pretty well from a number of angles um, to, to, you know, attack the business world with kind of a similar mentality. Right. So how do you start playing hockey when you were younger? Why, why hockey? What was it like growing up playing hockey? Walk me through that piece. Like, I think if you'd grow up in Canada, you know, it's, I think today it might be a little bit different. I'm not sure. And I've got three young boys, five, three and 18 months. So yep. we'll see how that unfolds. Maybe we do a 10 year reunion, but, uh, and chat about it, but you know, you grew up in, you grew up in Canada and, and obviously hockey's a, hockey's a pretty, pretty big thing. And, and it's a game that, you know, parents watch, people watch, um, you know, it's kind of embedded in the culture. And so as a kid, you, you know, amongst playing a number of other sports you you know at least I did started playing hockey actually I think my you know if I actually think about the history of it we moved when I was probably around three 
and from to the, to the neighborhood. So I, I was going to, I guess, a new school. I mean, I was just starting school. It was three. So let's be realistic. But and my parents enrolled me in um, minor hockey as well as skating classes. And so I guess I just liked it, right? Like, I, I can't remember that far back really, but I, it was some, it was a sport that I always loved. And I think that why I tell you about getting enrolled in skating is that I actually did figure skating for four or five, maybe six years, as well as playing hockey. Wow. And so I think skating, um, becoming a strong skater early on probably gave me a little bit of an edge and I, I'm just assuming this is the case. Um, and like anything, when you have a little bit of an edge, you gain confidence and it sort of snowballs from there. Right. So you start scoring goals if you're a forward or you start, you know, controlling the puck more. And so I think it was the one game, one sport that, that I was probably relatively better at than other sports. And, and that, like I said, that came with confidence and then I just went from there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely bang on in terms of finding that edge and you get confidence, right? Because when I was, when I, I started football when I was in grade seven, right? And for me, it was my size. It was mm -hmm. getting really big. And I'm like, well, I'm, it's easy for me to play football because I'm so big. But then that became into an obsession of, hey, I'm big. I better start working out so I can get yeah. better at football. So it started for me, it was my size. <laughs> it was figure skating. Yeah, like I think maybe, you know, there's something to that where, once you have that edge, like you said, it was your size, then you started working out, yeah. you realize that, hey, if I develop or push myself harder or am more disciplined or start working out or start shooting pucks in my garage more than someone else, I'll, I'll compound that edge, right? So I think it was that was it in hockey more than any other game. And, and there's, once you get closer to the top, there's a lot of guys or girls that have also been doing that. So it gets a little bit tougher, but, um, but yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea of place to start for sure. So, so then walk me through when you got to the level of playing, you know, college, right now, mm -hmm. everybody has been playing hard. They all have been shooting pucks in the garage. Some have been figure skating. Yeah. I'll give you that edge to stick it out for years and go pro. Well, I loved it. Right. Like it's, uh, it didn't take much more than that. Like I was, um, you know, you play junior hockey with the goal. You know, hockey is a unique sport because when you're kind of 16, 15, 16, 17, you kind of have to make a decision where you effectively can almost turn pro equivalent um, or you can go to college, but you can't do both, right? And so, you know, you, you, you started with talking a little bit about academics and, I, and I, was, I was pretty strong academically and I went to a school that, very much emphasized athletic or artistic, whatever, whatever your thing was. But in my case, it was more athletics, athletic and academic, right. Be strong in both, it, which I, which I was relatively strong in both. And so I said, you know what, I want to play college. It was a dream. And I think my dad also said, it would be so cool if you could, you know, get your education paid for my mom as well, but you know, get your education paid for and, and play hockey. I think my dad kind of fantasized college hockey a little bit. And so that was a choice I made and I, and I kind of, I kind of worked towards it um, and ended up, ended up there, right? You get, you go through the recruiting process, which is, which is interesting and fun, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, yeah, it wasn't, 
it never crossed my mind to not stick it out right because it was yeah. fun like that's what I wanted to do I wanted to play after college and I wanted to use my time there as best I could which is to become a better player um do well academically to set yourself up for for post hockey and so yeah it was something I loved it was a time in my life that was that was great I still have you know really close friends from from college and obviously a lot of stories some that can be told some that can't and so um so yeah like it was it was just something I wanted to do when I when I look back, right, and this is some this is something I've been thinking about a lot more now is when I was busy. So I had football practice, film, mm-hmm. lifting weights, and I had five courses a semester. Mm-hmm. I was able to do the exact same amount of work for school, whether or not the football season was on or off. So now that I look back, I realize that it's all about how efficient we are with our time versus how much time we have. So, sure. I, so was that also a big thing for you in academic All-American that you were able to handle sports and school because you were very efficient with how you s- structured your time? And I'm sure you were also at a friend circle there too. Yeah, no question. Like it's, it's interesting now that like you're kind of, you're kind of firing a bunch of memories looking back, but when you're in, when you're in that, that bubble of, of college hockey, like you're saying you're 20 hours a week on the ice, whether it's games and, and practice or lifting, and then you have a full, full course load as well. And your professors don't necessarily take it easy on you because you're an athlete, right? Like you're just, you're just a student. Um, and so I think the structure really helps a lot. That's that idea of scheduling, you know, the blocks of time that you have to do schoolwork or study or be at class. And then you can turn it off and you know, the blocks of time that you train, yeah. you know, you need to sleep. So you know, that's actually one of the things I try to replicate today. And, and, I, and it's funny because when you leave college and you go play pro, whether it's, you know, like minor pro in, in the East Coast League or the American League, you've got all this time. And I swear I went four years. And I'm like, I didn't have any time. And now I've got all this time. Yeah. And, and to your point, like, I don't know that you're, you're, you're definitely not more efficient, right? Like it just, it, it, you kind of just, you don't use the time as wisely. So it's one thing I try to do today as best I can, which is sort of block my time for various things. And now when there's kids in the mix, you know, that can get kind of thrown off, thrown off side pretty quickly. But um, because I think that's now embedded in me in a way where, you know, there's work, there's play, there's fitness, there's whatever, if you meditate or do, do whatever else you do and you just kind of block it to make sure you get it all done and just stay efficient. Yeah. So, you know, there, and this reminds me of a stat that I was reading that most CEOs and executives have an athletic background, right? So would you say this is one of the things that is a part of that foundational things that we learn as athletes is that the discipline being really committed to our time, doing more with less? Is that something that you've seen you used from your hockey days to now? Yeah, I, I would say for sure, right? Like it's, it's, it's just knowing what you need to do to check all those boxes to, you know, stay healthy or eat well, or mm-hmm. not to say I do that now, like I did, but um, yeah, like you can see how that, that sort of idea of, of scheduling and the scarcity of time can make sure that when you do have time to do things, you use the time well. Um, and so uh, you can see, I didn't know that that most executives have an athletic background, but it, but it, it makes sense. Yeah, because I was in a, so a different podcast. There was I was chatting with uh, Mr. Dell Jones. So he was an 18-year reporter for USA Today. And he shared a stat that that most executives have athletic backgrounds, but also most female executives, even though numbers are lower, for various reasons that that you know exist today, which is a problem. 
most female executives also have a, an athletic background, which yeah. almost shows you that there's some sort of a foundational uh, value stream that is embedded, I think, in most people. Yeah, like I, I actually just heard a podcast, which is incredible, um, uh, you know, who a guy named Patrick O'Shaughnessy invests like the best. I don't know if you know the podcast. It's phenomenal. He does a great job. And he had, I forget her last name now, I should know, but I think her first name is Claire. And she's one of the executives at uh, Heinz. And it seems like she's got 10 full-time jobs, does amazing at all of them, wow. and is a former USA track superstar, right? And, and I think that she talks a little bit about that, how like track not only gave her that structure, but it also gave her a mindset that allowed her to, you know, really take quick steps in the business world. And it's, it's a fascinating listen for anyone out there that wants to listen. Claire, she, she, she's from Heinz, Claire and Patrick O'Shaughnessy, one yeah. of these uh, podcasts. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think there's, there's so many things that, that make that, that trans transition, right? Like I work with some student athletes now and I know we're diving into this a little deeper, but a lot of student athletes that, you know, come to me and say, well, you know what, I was four years in, in, in school and I, I was, playing, uh, you know, whatever sport for most of my time. I didn't take any mock interview lessons. I didn't work on my resume. I didn't do an internship. I'm like, but you have all the transferable skills that you sure. need, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's there's, there's a lot more value to that. Um, but I, I want to ask you, Darcy, so, you know, thinking about how these things have helped you in life, when you look back at your career from hockey to, I know you had your own business and now Graybrook, what is one or one or two, what are one or two values that have stuck with you from your hockey days, whether junior or, or NCAA that you're like, you're always constantly saying the reason you're doing well today is because of these values. Yeah, I think there's more than one or two, but I think that attitude is a big one. Yep. And, and when I think about attitude, it's not just being a good teammate and, and stuff like that. It's, it's how you approach the game or how you approach the sport. Um, like when I think about the people that I was around that became even much more, you know, however you define success, successful and call it hockey than I was, more successful than I was. They were so convinced in their mind that they were going to make it and they ended up making it, right? So th this is something that I've actually taken forward from sports and I, I probably realized that I did realize it too late, but I'm glad I realized it was just that if you look back, oftentimes they are, are better, but oftentimes they're not, they're kind of right in the middle or upper middle of the pack, but they're so convinced that they're going to make, you know, play pro that they almost will themselves to get there. So like that idea of literally willing yourself to get somewhere, if you really, really want it, blew me away when I realized it, but that's the reality of pretty much anyone who's been successful, right? Whether you call it visualization or, you know, whatever they're doing, that was striking. Um, and the other thing that I think is, is quite interested, interesting and like you can kind of parlay it into just having faith, right? And I'm not, I don't mean that in a spiritual way necessarily. I mean it in just faith in yourself, right? Like that it's going to work out. And if you have that, then anything that comes across that's negative or difficult, like you can kick in that gear of persistence that will keep you going. Right. So like those two things 
and I know there's others that, you know, I probably should highlight and I'm not, are, are the, the two things that really stand out. This, the second thing you said, it, may, it reminds me of a concept that an Olympian was actually talking about. He said, look at your efforts, your life at, in a long-term horizon where anything that comes up that is not part of your plan, don't think of it as a failure. Think of it as how is, how are you going to navigate this? How will you use this to learn and adjust your plan, iterate? so that you can continue moving to that long-term three to four year journey, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very similar to what you said for a second. It's like, you know, you know that something might come up, but if you're persistent um, because of football, you know, hockey, football, whatever it is, you're going to continue making progress, right? So I think it's a very, very, very unique concept. And then the, the first one you mentioned, there's this book, The, the Secret, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's different things that you can, you can lay it to. It's like either there's a power of visualization or um the power of whatever like if you think you can do something you're going to start doing the things that are get you that it becomes the action you take are what you believe mm-hmm. that you want to do so i think there's different ways of saying that as well yeah um very for sure. true for sure it's it's a tough thing to articulate you almost just have to see it for it to register right um like everyone when you get up the ranks everyone wants it and everyone wants to be the best and everyone wants to get to the next level but not everyone has and everyone works hard and everyone lifts weights and personal bests and all these things, but not everyone is really willing to do it. And not everyone's mindset is where it needs to be to get there. So, so yeah, like all these things kind of go hand in hand. So, so let's dive into the second point there. When, when things come up that you don't, you know, aren't part of your plan, how do you handle failures and how, how has hockey taught you to handle adversity? I think hockey is, is one of those things where you, you constantly have to keep going, right? Like you're almost only in any sport, you're only really some ways you're as good as your last game. And, and it's very much merit based, you know, some people can debate that, I guess, but merit based where like if you're playing well and doing well, you're going to move up. Um, And so, and so if you know that, then, you know, anytime you fail, you hear it a lot in the startup world is, you know, fail fast or whatever it is, fail often and fail fast. But it gives you that ability to, you know, if it's merit-based and, and you have a sort of end goal, you just take those failures, you learn from them and move on, right? And, and I think hockey's no different. The one thing about hockey that might be different than, you know, some other sports is that you're doing it as a team. Um, and so, you know, your team can learn together and you can rely on others to sort of, prop you up which is which is one of the things that I you know like about business as well is that unless you're a solo entrepreneur you can you can kind of rely on others to to either pick up the slack or or be creative or take their idea um, but I think just having an end goal having a vision and, and, and knowing that you know if you keep doing what you're doing and you're confident it, you can sort of it will run off your back the one thing I would say about failure is that sometimes I think it's it's very much, you know, like the thing to say, that idea of fail, fail fast, fail often and fail fast. And I think failure has a very negative connotation to it. I think it's more about, you know, what you're learning and being willing to try things. Obviously you want them to succeed, but giving yourself that space to try something and being creativity within a framework to me is, is, is really what it's all about. And less so about like, 
fail? Did you fail? Well, what'd you learn from your fail? Like it's more around that idea of creativity from, from, you know, trying to, trying to do something different within a framework um, and at least trying. Right. I was writing a blog um, last week and, and it was, it was called um, change the definition of failure because basically what might seem to might seem a failure to somebody else for, at least for me personally, I've been through this in corporate. For me, it was like, if I didn't fail here, I probably wouldn't have achieved the results that I got a year later because that set me up to learn and then try something else that otherwise I wouldn't have known. Right. Um, so I think it's all about how you're perceiving failure. It's more of, I, I call it execution, right? <laughs> Execute, learn, get the feedback and you repeat. Yeah, exactly. It, it can also light a fire on you too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know, you know, my first, my first pro team, like we had, we had a pretty good team and I kind of probably didn't, maybe didn't get the shot that I thought I would, or just it didn't work out and I ended up getting traded. And, and that totally sparks you, right? Cause you're like, well, this yep. could be it. This could be it. Like I wasn't, I didn't do, I didn't do as well as I could have in, the, in round one, round two, if I don't do as well as I can, like it could be over. Yep. And so, and so it, it sparks you a little bit too, to, to just pay attention to, you know, what you maybe didn't do well and what you did do well and focus on the things that you can do well and do do well. Yeah. I remember I was, I got benched a few games and that was a, the, the next week when I came back to practice was an absolutely different intensity than the week before. Yeah. So. <laughs> Desperation mode now. Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned Darcy about, a team sport, right? So you were playing mm-hmm. with a bunch of other players now business. And he said, business is you have people around you, right? Mm-hmm. There are too many people, unfortunately in today's world that are going to work, that are part of a team that does not do well. They don't like each other and mm-hmm. they're okay with it. You know, I'm sure you are in a, in a firm and I think you get along well with people, but you also are part of a team who wants to strive to get better. How, how do you want, how do you find that kind of a team in a business environment? And now we're talking about your transition from sports to what can people do that are part of a team that just is more political and more talk versus doing the actual things that are going to get them to win. Yeah. I think sometimes, sometimes it's uh, that can be a tricky thing to find, right? Like you can in, in business, you can end up on a team that that's the case. And it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to shake out of people. Right. And so I think that's where culture, values, vision play a play a pretty important role in so much as you want to join a firm where you're very much aligned with all of those things. Right. And so, you know, like if you look at a lot of the consulting firms or or whatever, like they you know that they're going to be attracting high performing people. And if that's the culture and the vibe and the feel you want learning from other smart people, that's also very competitive, hard work, um, you know, learning interesting things. And that's your makeup. Then try to find a culture where the majority of the teams are going to be like that. Right. Versus. And I think that that would be the case in, you know, a lot of progressive industries like technology Mm -hmm. or, you know, any tech firms where people are pushing forward. Versus maybe in some older type businesses, there's it's more of like a low growth environment, which you know, not I don't know this to be the case for sure, but I can imagine it's, it's a little bit more hold the fork down than it is push forward, right? So I think there's a lot of things that would go into making a decision of hey, well, what kind of person am I? What kind of culture and what are my values? 
and what do I want to be associated with? And then start there as a point to sort of give yourself the best chance to be in a, on a team that is going to be the type of team you want. Yeah. It's, it's also, uh, you know, you bring up a good, good point about some of these older businesses, right. And a lot of times it was the case when I'm sure when you went to university, it was probably like front and center that go work for a big company. You get a big name on your resume. That means you can go to other bigger companies afterwards. The problem that I'm seeing right now, you know, my experience, but also hearing from others is that the bigger companies just don't move as fast. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn, and if you want to be part of a culture that's going to grow, go to a smaller company or an entrepreneurial environment within a bigger company where you have the autonomy to make mistakes and the autonomy to, to learn. And also that's meritocratic, right? So mm -hmm. That's definitely changing. Yeah, it's, it seems like it is. Like, I think that there's, there's two parts to that. I, I think like oftentimes in bigger businesses, there's this, there's this knowledge base and people where you can learn from them. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of people talk about like investment banking or consulting. And I think there you can learn very tangible skills that can parlay into, you know, now, now you have these skills that you can, you can use elsewhere. But I, I certainly would agree with you that, you know, I think that there's, I think it's Seth Godin or, or, or one of the, one of those, yeah. I think it's him where he says like, you know, what feels like the most traditional or comfortable path or the least risky path oftentimes can be the highest risk because, you know, you imagine you go into a firm you learn the skills, now you're getting paid pretty well, you kind of follow the track, now you're five, seven, 10 years in. Um, are you really gonna leave? Cause you've got a pretty good gig going, but you know, now you're in your mid forties or whatever the age and all of a sudden they, they let you go and you don't have these skills that you can necessarily use elsewhere. You, you know, you can't jump into a tech firm, right? So yep. I think, you know, when you, you're talking earlier about giving advice to people and I actually, you know, hosted a guest on a podcast um, a couple weeks ago and he gave similar advice. And I always think that like, don't just follow the path to follow the path, like follow your passion or something that you like, try it. And to your point, make mistakes, but try a number of different things before you settle mm -hmm. on your you know, the path that's going to create the greatest trajectory for you. And I think a lot of times you can get caught up as in taking the job that's either going to pay the best or that's been the traditional path and you in some ways miss the boat. Yeah. Talking about business, right. Where, where you're applying a lot of these things. So let's talk about Graybrook. Mm -hmm. um, really curious. And I always ask this question, to every single athlete on the podcast, Darcy, how have you applied the actual strategy side of your sports. So let's say hockey, um, you know, everything is like, a lot of people don't realize that even when you have in the playoffs, people are running around, there's a lot more strategy than that goes behind it than what you see on the camera. So that's strategy. Um, we are on a team with people that you might not always like, right. You're, you're looking at, um, building leadership and taking advice from others on the team. You got to mm -hmm. be part of a system right. Mm -hmm. That you might not believe in, or you have to believe in, how do you, how do you bring all those stuff into your business today and how are you playing those concepts for very business one-on-one standpoint? Yeah, I think, you know, similar to sports and I think a lot of it starts at the top, right? Like uh, one, if you step back, 
I think one of the things that is obvious, but maybe I implemented it later than I could have, is that I think coaching is important, not just similar to sports, right? Like if you surround yourself with good people that are smart, that are growing, you know, or associate yourself with people that you ultimately want to be or have the life that they have, you know, these things are important. Um, so you start there. And then two, when you get into like business 101, I think not dissimilar to a team, you, you want to create roles that are well-defined and well-respected. And so, you know, if you take hockey, for example, there's, there's forwards, defensemen and goalie. And then, you know, there's subsets in there, which are goal scorers or defensive forwards and offensive defensemen and defensive defensemen. And so everyone has a role to play and everyone's role is important. And, and you can't lose sight of that, even though some people might take more of the glory because they're the goal scorer, the team doesn't win without the rest of the team. So this idea of roles that are well-defined and respected by everyone on the team is very important. Um, and then also just that sense of purpose, right? Like a team is pretty straightforward. You want to win the championship yeah. and how do you go about doing that? Um, but I think if you align incentives, the mission, the culture, you give people sort of autonomy, you empower them again throughout the team, not just the top dog, then the entity will move together. And that's ultimately what you want. It's well said. How do you talk about the roles now? So well-defined roles. Mm -hmm. uh, I think before you move together, you got to have well-defined roles. What are your thoughts on Darcy having people that can play multiple positions or generalists, right? So if you have, let's say depth, somebody get injured, how do you, how do you account for that? So I think it's, I think it's very important, right? Like I think, uh, you don't want to leave yourself with a get glaring hole if something happens. Right. So I think you need to sort of create ways to, to sort of backfill for other people's roles to a certain extent. I like the idea of generalists, to be honest, like, you know, I guess it goes a little bit against what, what sort of you say earlier in well-defined rules by that. I just mean, this is what you need to do to get where we want to go. Expectation of job, yep. exactly. But I think being a generalist allows you to fundamentally, so by generalist, say, say there's like three things that you kind of have to oversee, but there's one thing that you need to be really good at and responsible for. By being a generalist, you have a more comprehensive view of the business and what other people are doing. And there it gives you respect for the effort and work they're doing. But it also allows you to, if someone does go down, to be able to pick up that slack, right? And I think that generalist, just generally, like, you know, you, you generalist generally, you, you, you hear a lot of people that are like these polymaths that, you know, are really exceptionally talented at multiple subjects. Not that we all need to be that, but I think there's a lot of valuable lessons that you can take from one area and bring over to yours and either use it to get better or just to give you a more comprehensive understanding. So I think not being siloed is important. Um, and, and the idea of generalists, at least in terms of what you read and things that you're sort of learning from is, is quite important. So on this note, what can other executives right now take away from hockey? Let's say just in the on the aspect of teams and building the right team that's worked for you or you believe will work good for businesses who are trying to battle disruption today. Yeah, I think, I think it's, 
you know, even in the interview process, sussing out the ability to problem solve and be resilient, right? Like start there. And then, you know, as you plug those problem solvers and resilient people into certain roles, you're going to by design have resiliency and flexibility, right? So if things get disruptive, you can adjust and adapt. If you don't have people that have that resiliency and flexibility, then if something goes wrong or the, you know, the ship takes a wrong turn, you're going to be in trouble. So, so, you know, beyond all the things that we said, which is roles, mission, purpose, like incentives, all of these things, I think it's just finding people that at their core have these traits and plug them into the team. Like, I, th- I think, I don't, I don't know that there's a way to do it other than that. Awesome. For everyone listening, can you provide a few, uh, a little bit of information on your podcast, Venture and Gains? Yeah, we talked about generalists. So Venture and Gains, it, 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 it's uh, basically, like I say, you know, everyone has a handful of people or less in their network that everything they touch turns to gold. And no matter what they do, they're successful. And so we all kind of want to meet more of those people and learn from them. So that's kind of the ethos of the podcast. And it very much is a generalist approach. So it's not, you know, I'm in real estate private equity for my sort of my day job. And I've been doing that for, I guess, almost eight years now. But it's not just real estate people. Like there are some that are sort of in that handful, but it's people across industries, across roles, whether it's, you know, media, tech, real estate, you name it. And just trying to suss out like similar to kind of, I guess, what we're doing today, like these elements of how they think, what they do, how they approach their day and some of the, the hurdles that they've overcome along the way. And it actually started in a very different way though. I, I used to, um, there's, a, there's this kind of social club in Toronto where, where uh, I, was, I'm, I still am a member at. And, and one of the things they wanted to do is attract younger members. So I said, well, you know, what would be interesting is to bring in entrepreneurs or funds or asset managers um, to present to a group, um, but not just present to say like, Hey, this is what we do, but to kind of like not pitch a deal, but like pitch their VC fund or their strategy or their business. And over time, the room started to fill up and all I was doing was saying, Hey, bring this, bring this person in, fill the room and those people can connect and go from there. And then once COVID hit, I said, that's a, uh, it was an interesting way to build a network too. You build a very diverse network because you're not just focusing on one thing. So for people out there, like I always kind of like, you know, you can get stuck in your network. So I kind of wanted to build a network beyond just my network. Yep. So once COVID hit, I said, well, how can you replicate that digitally? And that's what started the podcast, which wow. is, which is doing a similar thing just digitally. It's an awesome story. Where can uh, people find that? Venturinggains.com is the website. Um, the firm I'm working at today is uh, and have been for a while and probably will be for quite a long time is uh, Graybrook Realty Partners. So yeah, check us out. Check out the podcast. Love love people to listen. There's a lot of interesting guests and season two is about to drop in, uh, in a couple of weeks. So hopefully you can uh, check it out. Awesome. Well, Darcy, thanks so much for jumping on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure having you. Everyone listening, remember to check out Venture and Gains and um, make sure to leave a nice review and subscribe to the podcast. And Darcy, thanks again, man. It's a pleasure having you. No, it's great. Love what you're doing. I think there's tons that people can apply, whether they're professional, collegiate, or or, or elsewhere, sports into business. And um, so you take a great angle and you you do a great job. So thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Team, remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend. 
and visit tambourvango.com for a ton of free content and exercises.